Genesis chapter 40. We're getting close to the end. We're not there yet. We're probably, uh, we're probably about five or six uh, Sundays away from wrapping up, but we're, but we're almost done. Genesis 40 and 41 this morning. Robert Frost said in a poem one time, we have miles to go before we sleep. And that, uh, that, that's the, uh, the story this morning. We've got miles to go. We're going to cover two chapters this morning as we consider, as Jeff said at the beginning of the service, God's providence, God's care, God's uh, ability to govern uh, our lives uh, with his knowledge and wisdom and understanding and how that impacts us. Uh, there were two dads who were golfing one day and they, they began comparing notes about their kids and the one dad was uh, going on and on about his, his son who was really struggling and you know just wasn't uh, doing anything. He was kind of laying around the house all day. He was eating his food. He was, you know, kind of kind of sucking up his paycheck, but not really getting his act together. And uh, the dad said, you know, the other dad looked at him and said, well, if he was my kid, I'd, I'd kick him out of the house. Uh, and the one father stopped. He said, well, if he's your kid, I'd kick him out of my house too. That really isn't the, my problem. My problem is he's my kid. <laughs> you know, we know a couple things about life. We know it's not a question of if we will struggle, if there will be challenges, if there will be problems or hardships. The question is when. Those will come. We know that. We understand that anybody who, who's, who's into their teenage years, even, even at that early age, knows that problems arise. And we also know something else. We know that Scripture says that God is providentially sovereign over everything, including the details of our lives, that these things aren't that they're not only not lost on God, but he has a perfect plan in place. And I know that some of you this morning, like me, are probably sitting here saying, wait a minute, that that can't possibly be. If you look at my life, how can you say that that fits into any kind of sovereign plan that God could possibly have? Not only do we question that, but we find it almost impossible to think that we should look at our lives, that we should view our lives from that lens, the lens of God's providence. The lens that says, I may not understand exactly what's happening in my life today, but I know there is a God in heaven who gets it. I know there is a God in heaven who not only understands it, but he is designing the steps of my life. Would it be possible for us to truly look at our lives in that fashion? I would say that if it is a stretch for you and me, it certainly was a stretch for Joseph. Just by way of quick review, when Joseph was 17 years old, his 11 other brothers hated him so badly and resented him so much that they thought about killing him. They decided they didn't want to have blood on their hands, but they sold him into slavery. There was a caravan of slave traders going by, Ishmaelites, and they sold their brother into slavery. 17 years old, he finds himself in a foreign land. He's in Egypt. He doesn't speak the language. He's purchased as a piece of property. And he's put into the employee of a guy named Potiphar, who is one of the guards of Pharaoh. Joseph rises to a, to a position of prominence in that household. He, he's given responsibility for that household. Things are at least looking like perhaps Joseph will get by some way. His life won't be great. He's never going to see his family again, but, but maybe he won't. He's got a good job for a slave if there is such a thing. In the midst of that success, Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. Joseph says, I can't do that. It would be wrong against my master. It would be wrong against God. And she wrongfully accuses him and has him thrown in prison. Where is God's providence in this? Joseph tries to do the right thing, even in the midst of a difficult circumstance, and he gets the shaft. How is God possibly working out any kind of plan in Joseph's life? You may be asking that same question this morning. We're going to look at a lot of scripture this morning. I'm not going to dwell on any one particular passage too long. But I do want you to hear the word of God. Genesis chapter 40. I'm going to read three different sections. This is the first reading for the morning. 
Genesis chapter 40, starting verse 1. You can follow along on the screen or in your Bibles. Sometime after this, after Joseph was thrown in prison, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer, the chief baker, and he put them in the custody of the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. One night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker, of the king of Egypt, and were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with his own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. So the chief cup pair told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream there was a vine before me and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, budded uh, blossoms shot forth And the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and to get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked foods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup on Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Father, as we turn to your word this morning, we pray for your insights, not man's, not mine. Father, we pray that you would help us understand your providence. Lord, there are many of us this morning that our hearts are filled with joy. We're in a great place. Our family's doing well. Our business is going okay. Life seems to be all in order. But Father, for others of us, we are just simply not sure what what more could go wrong. (laughs) What else could possibly happen? Father, your word says it's, it's not when things are okay that God's providence is acting. Your word says that your providence is acting all the time. That our circumstances don't dictate your graciousness. Father, that is hard for us to see it sometimes. This passage is a perfect example of how impossible it must have been for someone to see your hand of providence. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to each and every heart this morning. Teach us what you want us to know, Lord. I pray that you would forgive me for my sin. Don't let me stand in the way of what you want to share with us this morning. 
Lord Jesus, we pray that you would come and teach us. I pray in your name. Amen. I want to give you three observations out of these 23 verses in chapter 40, and then we're going to jump ahead to chapter 41. Because in this story, as it unfolds, we see two things running on parallel tracks. We see God's providential care, and we also see Joseph's life uh, that may not quite match up to that. We have the advantage of looking back into this passage. Many of you have studied this before. You're not going to be surprised about what happens next. Some of you may have never heard this story, and for you there may be a bit of mystery. Uh, But as we look into this text, we're going to see, in spite of what looks like dreadful human circumstances, that God is actually leading and guiding a very specific process, not only for Joseph's life, but also for your life and my life today. That the book of Genesis actually has a practical application for us, not just to see God's providence, but to understand how through this story, the line of Jesus is saved. And our salvation comes to us because of God's good providence. The first observation I have is in chapter 40, verses 7 and 8. Pharaoh asked them, why are you, or excuse me, Joseph asked them, why are you downcast? And they said, we have these dreams, there's nobody to interpret them. And Joseph says, do not interpretations belong to God. And, and the heading up there is acknowledging lordship. If you remember back several weeks ago, or you remember back into the story of Joseph, or maybe this is new information for you, when Joseph was 17 years old, as I said earlier, his brothers hated him. One of the reasons they hated him is because they had, or he had a dream about being king over them. He was the youngest of the brothers, and he has two different dreams on two different occasions, both which result in him being the big dog in the family. And they resent him. They, they hate him for that and for several other things. But, but Joseph's attitude, when he was 17 years old, he was pretty cocky. <laughs> he was pretty self-assured. He felt pretty good about these dreams he had, and he didn't mind sharing them arrogantly with his brothers, as if he were actually the source of the dream in the first place, as if he could take credit for the dream that God had given him. And so Joseph reacts in a very immature way, and it lands him in a lot of hot water. Now fast forward 11 years, which is where we pick the story up. His circumstances are much worse than they were before. The first time Joseph interpreted a dream, he was wearing a coat of many colors. He was the favorite son. He was the blessed child. Now he's a prisoner. Now he can't go anywhere without somebody else's permission. He's risen to a place in the prison where he gets to watch over other prisoners, but that's the best for which he can possibly hope. His circumstances have drastically gone downhill, but spiritual maturity is taking hold. Look at what Joseph says when they said, we've had dreams. He doesn't say, you know, when I was 17 years old, I interpreted dreams. Tell me, I've, I've got that ability. I can do that for you. That's not what he says. He says, do not interpretations. Stay on that page for just a second. Do not interpretations belong to God. God is the one who interprets. You see the change that's taking place in Joseph's heart. He's beginning to understand the lordship of God in his life. It's beginning to be foundational in his life, and it is not conditioned upon whether or not he's in a good spot or a bad spot, humanly speaking. I was talking to a friend about two weeks ago who was telling me about a friend of hers who was, who was leaving the faith. She said, I, I don't want anything to do with God anymore because he's disappointed me so badly. He hasn't worked things out the way I expected him to. Friends, many of us have that attitude when we approach faith. And we leave lordship out of the equation of God's providence. Joseph is learning that God is lord of his life, even 
in the difficult places? Where is lordship in my life? Where is lordship in yours? Is it a foundational part of your faith? Second observation in this passage comes out of verses 14 and 15, and I call it acknowledging pain. Joseph has interpreted this dream. He's told the cupbearer. He's, he's going back on top. And he says this, do one thing for me. Remember me when it is well with you. And, and please do me this kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh so to get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of Hebrews. And I, here I have also done nothing that they should put me into this pit. Joseph trusts God, but that trust is not void of his reality. Look at what he says. I'm in a pit. I'm in a terrible place. Hey, cupbearer, you're going to be standing next to the most powerful guy in the country, and I've told you that's going to happen. I've done you this favor. Now do me a favor. Get me out of here. This is an awful place. I don't want to be in prison. I I was wrongly accused in the first place. Point being here, friends, that God's faithfulness, me believing in God's providence and trusting in God's providence is not synonymous with always having some kind of of attitude of glee and, and happiness about my life as if there were no problems. Trusting God's providence doesn't mean that life is simple or life is easy or that Christians, when they when they struggle, disciples of Jesus, when they go through hard times, should ignore the pain in their own heart Ignore the questions in their heart and just kind of, kind of blissfully, ignorantly go on their own way. Say, well, I'm sure God will work it all out. Our faith needs to have deeper root than that, friends. We need to, we need to wrap our minds around the truth of God's providence in a, in a profound way that is not simple minded. I think there are a couple of applications here. One is that this, I think you can trust God and still be upset all at the same time. I think it stands to reason that you can say, okay, I get providence. I understand it. I'm not ignoring it. I'm not rejecting it. But my, oh my, this is a bad spot. And I'm not real happy at this particular moment. If you don't think that's true, then you're rejecting the book of Psalms, which is the biggest book in the Bible, which is filled with this kind of attitude. It's filled with praise. It's filled with worship. It's filled with thanksgiving. But how many times does David or one of the other, other psalmists say, you know, God, I'm, I'm in trouble. Where are you, Lord? Are you going to help me? I'm sinking into the pit. Are you here to, to save me? My enemy's after me. My, my enemy's out to get me. I don't think that, that you can separate the reality of, of your emotions and your faith. I don't, I don't think you can hold them at odds with one another. I think they come together under God's providence, and God understands our pain. He understands the struggle, and that question, God, where are you, it doesn't offend God. He would have put it in Scripture if it was offensive to him. He wants us to cry out and deal with the reality of our circumstances and acknowledge that while we acknowledge that he is providential. So I think you could trust God and still not be thrilled to death about your circumstances. But I want to give one other application to this. I'm just going to mention it briefly. Uh, caregivers, if you're, if you're with some, and I don't mean official like deacons and Stephen ministers, I mean all of us at times are caregivers. You have a friend that's hurting, you come alongside him, you try to put your arm around him. You have a friend that, that, you know, my dad passed away last October. I can't tell me how many people in this congregation loved us so well during that time. You just, and a lot of you just said, hey, I, I really care about you. And you know, that was, that was the whole message, but boy, that meant so much. But, but a word to the wise friend, if you're giving care for someone, be careful to do that wisely. People that are hurting, people that are in the midst of pain, don't need us to preach to them. They don't need us to, to come alongside them and say, you know, don't worry, God's going to take care of everything. You know, Job's comforters, they came and they sat with them for nine days and they didn't say a word. 
And that's when they did their best work. (laughs) They were just there. When they opened their mouths, they really messed it up. I'm not saying you can't talk to people in pain, but I'm saying let's make sure that we are prayerfully and with wisdom and humility caring for one another well. I was talking to a woman, this is is going back a little ways, and, and she'd gone through a terrible divorce and her husband had treated her so badly. And she said, my friends care so much for me, they mean so well, but if one more person says to me, I just want you to be happy, I'm going to punch them right in the nose. <laughs> I, I, I understand that, I get that. I don't have to go with all the answers. Joseph says, I'm in a pit. And, and if you're around Joseph at that time, you'd have to say, yeah, brother, you are, and I don't know why. But I love you and I'll, and I'll stand next to you acknowledging pain. One other observation out of chapter 40 in verses 21 through 23. Uh, I call it unanswered disappointment. So the chief, this chief cupbearer gets restored to his position. He gets to put the cup in Pharaoh's hand. The chief baker gets hanged, just as Joseph said. But the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. There's no question that Joseph was hanging his hopes on the cupbearer, getting him out of prison. And if he got him out of prison, I'm sure Joseph's mind said, I'm on my way back to Canaan. I'm on my way back to my family. And that was probably the extent of Joseph's picture at that particular moment of his life. What looked like the best thing that could possibly happen in Joseph's mind had to be, the cupbearer's going to go to Pharaoh and say, look, my buddy helped me. And by the way, he was framed. Can we let him out? And can we, let, can we loan him a camel to get back up the road to Canaan? That in Joseph's mind, I'm sure, had to be the perfect picture. But Joseph, like you and me, had limited vision. He didn't see everything that God's providence saw. And if that were the ending, Joseph gets out, he gets home. Maybe he's reconciled with his brothers. Maybe he exacts vengeance on his brothers. We don't know. But we do know what Scripture says later on, that there's a famine coming, which we're going to see in chapter 41. And in that scenario, as it plays out, Everybody in Joseph's family ends up dying of starvation in that picture. It will be seven or eight years in the future, but it will happen to them. And Joseph had a brother named Judah. And Judah is the tribe that produced King David, whose lineage is the lineage of the Lord Jesus. You see how in God's providence, even if we don't see the whole picture, God is tying everything together. But Joseph has no answer for his disappointment at that particular moment. All he knows is that, you know, the next day the phone didn't ring. <laughs> the next week nobody came and unlocked the door and said, hey, the cupbearer talked to Pharaoh. And the weeks turned into months and months ended up, as we'll see in a moment, turning into a couple of years. And Joseph had to be saying, what is going on here? But friends, we must be careful even when our disappointment is right in front of us. We must be careful not to assume too quickly that God is treating us arbitrarily. Joseph doesn't get a new dream. He doesn't get an answer for two years. He gets the opportunity to trust God, even in his disappointment. Let me move on to chapter 41. Listen to verses 1 through 16. As I said, we're going to cover a lot of Scripture this morning, but you, the power is in the Word, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad to present the Word to you. You need to, need to hear this story as it unfolds. After two years... Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump. I'm not sure how a cow can be attractive, but uh, it was a healthy cow. (laughs) And they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Niles. And the ugly cows, the thin cows, ate up the seven attractive plump cows. And Pharaoh woke. And they fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. 
And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plumpful ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt, all its wise men. Pharaoh told him his dreams, but there were none that could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in the custody of the house of the captain of the guard. We dreamed the same night, he and I each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams for us, giving us an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him up out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard that you, uh, excuse me, I've heard that you can interpret it. I've heard of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Now I want you to skip down because then he just, he repeats the dream about the cows and the stalks. And then jump down to verse 25. Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years and the seven good ears, seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I have told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout the land of Egypt. But after them there will arise seven years of famine. And all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land. And the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow it, for it will be very severe. At the doubling of Pharaoh's, excuse me, and the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that this thing is fixed by God, that God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce from the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh for the food in the cities. Let them keep it. The food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. What a change of events that has taken place here in just uh, two short years. And I want to give you a couple of observations out of chapter 41 as well. The first one is this, that there's purpose for the preparation. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and then he goes through the, the whole dream, which we won't take time to repeat. Then his spirit's troubled. He sends a calls for all the magicians, all the wise men, told them their dreams, but no one could interpret them to Pharaoh. Now Joseph is ready. It's been two years he's had to wrestle with his questions, with his frustration, with his anxiety. But God's preparation of this young man who's now 30 years old is complete. Joseph is fit emotionally and spiritually for the the opportunity that lies before him. 
We're not sure what happened to him over those two years. It, uh, Mo- Moses doesn't take time to tell us, but he says after two whole years, you get the idea of this being a long time. And God has been working in Joseph's life during that time. He has been preparing him for this particular moment. I'm sure if you look back in your life, you can see moments where God put you in places that you would not have placed yourself, but he put you there in order to do something that was going to have application later on in your life. I think that's probably part of all of our stories. I know in the, in the summer of 1995, my ministry life kind of turned upside down. I was in a church that ended up in a severe crisis. My, my buddy John Splinter sitting up here, we were in that together. And, and we went through three years, which seemed like crisis after crisis and problem after problem. But those were the years where I learned what ministry really was all about. Those were the years where, where I had no answers, where I just kind of kind of looked around and said, I, I don't know, but let's pray and maybe we can figure this out. And I think that those were years of training. Was, those were also years where I came really face to face for the first time in my life with my own sin, with my own brokenness, and with, where I was probably more of a problem than I was the solution, which is not a good feeling for a pastor to have when, when you're in the middle of ministry. But it was really good and that God used that time to break me in many different ways. And I think all of that prepared me and helped me be ready to come and to pastor Green Tree Community Church. Now, my story is not unique. You could tell a similar story. Many of you are disciples of Jesus could say, now that I look back and I see that particular moment, I see what God did there. It prepared me for this particular moment. And that's what God's doing in the life of Joseph. That's what his providence does. It prepares us. It creates a pathway for us to serve him to you be used by him in his kingdom. Also note one other thing that's under God's providence here, just real quickly. Nobody else can interpret the dream to Pharaoh. He's got everybody, he's got the best and the brightest. He's got the smart, he went to MIT, he went to Harvard, he went to Stanford, he got, he went to IBM. He got the best thinkers he could get together. He said, here's the dream. And they all scratched their heads. Why do you think that was? Because God darkened their minds. He kept them from the interpretation because he had another plan in mind. And there was only one guy that was going to interpret this dream, and it was going to be his man, the one he had prepared. Another observation comes out of verse 9 of chapter 41. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember, <laughs> you want to choke this guy. I'm sorry. I, he's not really my favorite person in this story. How do you forget that? How do you get out of prison one day by this miraculous thing that happened and, and 10 minutes later forget it? And it's two whole years before it dawns on you what happens. Uh, But he remembers, which makes me think that God's timing is impeccable. Let me just kind of run through a kind of stream of consciousness here. If Joseph isn't arrogant with his brothers when he has the first dream, he never ends up in Egypt. If Joseph doesn't get wrongfully accused and tossed into jail, he doesn't meet and help the cupbearer. If Joseph gets out two years earlier, he returns to Canaan and he never meets Pharaoh. If there's no interpretation for the dream, there's no preparation for the relief for the famine that's going to come, which means there's no savior through the line of Judah, which means you and I are lost today. You see, it does have application for right now. It has application for your life and for my life. God's providence is for salvation. God's providence is for grace and for mercy. And because of that, God's timing is never, ever mistaken. Even if I can't see it in the moment. And one of my favorite preachers is Steve Brown. He says, never ask me what God's doing in my life today. I have no clue. He said, I maybe can tell you what he was doing five years ago because now I see it through the lens of time. 
And I think, boy, there's a lot of wisdom there. But what he said is, I've come to realize, even if I don't get it and understand it perfectly, God's timing is perfect. And his providence is a providence which leads to salvation. And Joseph takes advantage of the opportunity. And he now, one other observation is, is this. He has an opportunity to be a witness. And Pharaoh uh, says to Joseph, I've had this dream. I don't have to interpret it. I've heard it said, you can interpret it. And then Joseph answers, verse 16, it is not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And then down to verse 25, the dreams of Pharaoh one, God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Joseph is on the spot. Joseph's been, been put up as the guy who can do the deal. He can solve the problem for Pharaoh. Joseph better not fail here. You think Joseph is standing there, you know, with a lot of confidence, a lot of excitement? Yeah, but not in himself. His confidence is in the Lord, and he directs Pharaoh's attention to the reality of the situation. He doesn't mince his words. He doesn't, you know, some people say in our day and age, some folks tend to water down the gospel. He's not watering down the message. He's telling Pharaoh, Pharaoh, I can't help you, but God is going to. Pharaoh, you're not in charge here. God is the one who is in charge. I think this is a gutsy move. But Joseph's confidence is in the providence of God. It's in his grace and it's in his mercy. Um, providentially, I have a son who's graduating from Kirkwood High School next Saturday. Uh, providentially, we're working all night at the graduation party. So JB will be preaching next Sunday. I won't be here. I probably won't be awake quite yet because uh, I won't be getting to bed till about five in the morning. But, but there's another part of this providence is that if, if you're a senior in Kirkwood High School and you have a parent who is a clergy member, that parent is invited to uh, be part of the baccalaureate service, which is next this coming Friday night. And I've been invited to preach that sermon. Now, baccalaureate service has a lot of different people from a lot of different faith backgrounds that come to it. And I told the woman who recruited me to do this, I said, I'm happy to come. I'm happy to do it, but you've got to understand, you get me, you get Jesus. You can't separate the two. I can't tell people anything other than the truth. So you can say no right now, and we can walk away, and we can still be friends. She's a hockey mom. We get along great. We've known each other since our kids were tiny. No harm, no foul. She said, no, I want you to come and do it. I said, okay. So I called her about a week later. I said, you get me, you get Jesus. She said, okay, I, I, I'm with you. It's okay. So you need to pray on Friday night that I stay true to that. I have an opportunity. Whoops, where to go? I have an opportunity to be a witness, Okay. I don't want to mess that up. In God's providence, you have an opportunity to be a witness every day of your life. People come across our paths and they need to know the gospel of Jesus. And in his providence, he's, he's put things in your life. He's created certain, certain things that have happened in your life, certain circumstances, maybe 10 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, maybe five minutes ago, that are going to have an impact that allow you to be a witness for him. Don't miss that opportunity. Let me read for you just a couple other verses before we wrap up, verses uh, 37 through 42 of chapter 41. This proposal, the idea of put somebody in charge, you know, let's get ready for the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? See how quick Pharaoh got it? He caught onto it right away. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves at your command. Only in regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set, over all the, set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. 
one other opportunity from witness leads to the opportunity of influence. Pharaoh says in, uh, in uh, verse 41, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh, not, Pharaoh recognizes God's presence. He gives Joseph national authority right there on the spot. Why? Because God is a God of providence. And God has a plan in mind. And Pharaoh is lining up with God's plan. And our hope for redemption through Christ is still alive. Where has God placed you? Where has God put you? Not just here on Sunday morning, not just in your family, not just around your Christian friends, but where's your, where's your sphere of influence? You know, I, I mentioned about the, 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 the hockey mom. The reason, one of the reasons I got invited to speak is because she and I have spent a lot of time talking at the rink, just kind of hanging out and chatting about our kids and about life and challenges. And, 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 I've, and I've tried to share my faith over the years. I don't think there's any, any surprise then that this opportunity has arisen. If God can use me at a hockey rink, trust me, friends, he can use you in a lot of great ways, in a lot of wonderful ways. But are we looking for that opportunity? Our circumstances may be difficult. They're going to be challenging. Sometimes they're befuddling. You don't even understand why God's doing something, but they're never void of his divine providence. His word teaches us that. And therefore, his word teaches us to rest in his providence. God does not have miscalculations. God does not take missed steps. And he calls us to trust in his perfect plan. Let's pray.